Hi everybody, this is Steven with uh, the Digital Hustle Show here with Burkhart Creative Agency and with Brian Helton. So he has this super sick brewery in like the downtown Phoenix area and here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm so excited to have him share with you guys uh, the different struggles and successes he's had growing a business, all the different transitions. And I think he's uh, bringing a lot to the table as far as experience and um, education and knowledge and all the different stuff you do. So. Um, yeah, so we could just start. It can be just totally conversational. It doesn't have to be super formal. And I know you guys do a lot of fun, cool stuff. So, um, so yeah, just tell me a little bit about yourself and some of the stuff you're telling me about how you started. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Helton Brewing's been around for about uh, three and a half years. Will be four in May. Um, been in Phoenix as a Phoenician now for about 23, 24 years, I think. Uh, been brewing uh, for about 24, 25 years. I guess I've only been in Phoenix for around 20 years then. Okay. Um, Started in Cincinnati, uh, moved out here, you know, on the corporate side of uh, running some breweries. Uh, this was time for me to start my own, you know. So I bought the equipment, bought the largest building I can find, uh, which was kind of difficult here in Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix yes. is totally zone C2 commercial, which is strip mall. I call it strip mall hell. Right. Um, I didn't think a brewery kind of belonged in a strip mall, being from the Midwest and used to uh, some of the East Coast breweries and what they're what I wanted in a brewery, I just didn't really want to be in a strip mall. Right. Uh, the other thing is uh, I'm a production facility, uh, which is not necessarily a brew pub, uh, although we do have food um, and we have a tasting room, but I'm not a restaurant like people would think or a typical bar serving, you know, vodka tonics and gin and tonics and what have you, strictly just our beer. Um, so, and I finally found a building that had a large enough space, it's 10,000 square feet, I got seven garage doors. I can move equipment in and out. Uh, beer gets brewed on one side, moves through the brewery as a horseshoe, out the door through the receiving area. Um, yeah, it, it took about two and a half years, but that's a great building. 22nd Street and Indian School. And uh, you're kind of in the middle of the Camelback Corridor, Arcadia, Uptown, um, right off the 51. Uh, people at the airport sometimes will Google breweries near me. Um, they pick up Wren House and Helton, so they come this way, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I like the location. You know? Oh, it's, it's a super great location. And I mean, uh, you, you've been here long enough to know that they're doing all these renovations in downtown Phoenix. So like, it's only gonna get better Absolutely. because they're just building new restaurants, new places to hang out. Like it's becoming more and more of a destination where you can hang out in downtown and yeah. stay there yeah. and still have like a great experience. And it's not like super rundown, at least not everywhere, it's right. Yeah. So. It's, um, it's definitely a great location. Even just like I was telling you before, it's like even just driving by, you guys are doing all this renovations and like the building definitely has like this like flat black look to it. It's very like, very cool, very, uh, very manly. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely something you wouldn't get away with in a strip mall. Yeah. So you guys are able to share like a little bit more of your story, just even like in your presentation of the building, yeah, which is, is huge, right? Yeah. And, and you guys, you guys have like a really neat um, presentation in general and so walk us through a little bit like so you you wanted to start this place you kind of got it rolling like what what was like your creative process in deciding like what you guys like stand for what you guys are gonna serve like how you guys are gonna look like as a as a business as a brand how did that kind of happen um, it needed to evolve um, being with my experience prior to this on the corporate side you see mission statements being made yearly or um, kind of shoved down people's throats. Um, I didn't want to do that. That's one thing coming from the corporate side. A, a mission statement and all of that, you know, how gimmicky you might think it is, but it, it is very important. You know, I, I'm really 
it's all about the, the company culture, but it needed to develop, you know, and if it came straight down for me in the beginning, um, it just wasn't going to work. You know, we had to see where Helton stood and a the beer, beer community, Phoenix and my staff, my staff is my culture. You know, I can develop it. This is my concept. This is uh, my baby. But at the same time, the team that I put together um, is what makes Helton successful. You know, um, in the beginning, I, um, like I said, it was me and Rob. We built the place by hand, built the bar, tore down barns in Indiana, brought stuff back. Um, we painted the inside of the house. I mean, everything we did, we installed the brewery. Um, so a lot of my time was taking being that person. Uh, and then it took me, you know, a couple of years to get Rob trained, you know, as my brewer and other brewers, you know, been assistants uh, on the beers and we had to find our niche. Um, our niche is a brewer. You don't come onto the scene. A lot of people don't realize this or a lot of home brewers think this is how it works. It's not. You don't come and say, this is my beer. I hope you like it. Right. Well, you're an idiot. It's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the beer that I brew here in Phoenix would not be the same beer if I went to Portland, Maine or let's say Portland, Oregon, you right. know. It's still a business and everyone has a cultural difference, so to speak. And you have to brew beer that the people want. Uh, you have to evolve. You can't say, all right, here's my lineup that I did 20 years ago. I'm going to do it today. You know, I won medals back then. I'm going to brew these beers. It doesn't work like that. Um, I never thought I'd be doing as many sours as I do. Never thought the haze craze, you know, I've been brewing for 24 years. I mean, it was always, that would be an abomination you know, 20 years ago to brew a beer that's right. hazy, you know, but now, you know, if the beer is clear in an IPA, it's almost a negative mark on it, you know? So you have to be able to pivot and change, you know, um, new techniques, new styles, um, new generations are coming around, you know, I've been brewing, like I said, for such a time that I've seen the next generation kind of not want what the prior generation did. It's kind of inevitable, you know, it's like, they don't want to drink what their mom and dads are drinking. They want something different. They want their own brand kind of, uh, Kind of blame Starbucks for that. Generations growing <laughs> up and instead of just getting normal coffee, you know, right. cartel, product placement. Um, instead of getting that, you know, they're able to like order exactly what they want, how they want with all their descriptions. And it's like half the time, like no one should ever have to say all those words at once in public, you know, <laughs> but they do. So what I'm getting at, yeah. So, you know, we definitely evolved. Uh, I first started out just doing cheese and charcuterie. The reason that, well, beer and cheese have been together forever back over in Europe. And it's like, why reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. We have substance here at the bar. I didn't want to be a restaurant. I know that was coming from that. Um, but at the same time, if you do not have any type of food, people will start to get a little drunk. And it's like, oh, it's time to move on. They need food. So our food program slowly developed as I was able to move outside of the brewery a little bit and start working on the food program. And then, of course, then came marketing, you know, um, and that's where we kind of figured out how to, to put our flag down of who we are, of what Helton is. Um, we do these barn bashes once a quarter, and what we were, what they consisted of is kind of a night of art, a night of art that I enjoy. And it was cow punk band type of music, which is very unique and different. Um, it would be uh, cars all throughout the brewery, and you know, whether it's a rat rod or the guy that chopped it down or the guy that pinstriped it or the upholstery guy. Uh, as you can see, live paintings going on. We would have live graffiti outside in the receiving areas. Um, so it was a night of art, whether, like I said, from paint to my beer to the music. Right. Um, we would have four tattoo artists here, 
you know, tattooing people, which is kind of unique and different. I love when the music was stopped, you hear the guns going, you know, <laughs> and people right. would be getting tattoos. So it was just kind of a unique way of us like, all right, this is a little bit different. We have the space. Yeah. Um, our music at the brewery is a little bit different. We go from, you know, like I said, crazy cow punk to um, punk to old school rock. It's, it's always kind of unique, a little bit more progressive, not what you would always hear on the radio, which I kind of like. Right. Um, depends on who's bartending sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, we, we kind of looked at, you know, we, we just wanted our characteristics to kind of stand out and not um, just fall in lines with uh, what everyone is trying to do out there. Right. You know, so yeah, we're, we just, it is, I wanted a place and I just put a large screen TV in this year. I was never going to put TVs in. I would rather have an environment that fostered eye contact and communication and maybe meeting someone different or your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and that's what a, a brewery should be or brew pub. It's like the community, it's a neighborhood brewery. People get to come talk, relax. We get all types on any given night. That's what I love about this place. It's like you would have every type of society sector, let's say, yeah. here on any given night. Or certain bars and restaurants you would go to, let's just, you know, let's say a sports bar. You know what you're going to get. You know, yeah. You're going to sports fans wearing jerseys, screaming at the TV, yeah. you know. If you're at a single spot or something like that, you know what you're going to get. Here, we have the mix of so many different people and so many different cultures. And, you know, that makes me uh, a little warm and fuzzy because I did build something that other people relate to. Yeah. You know, if, if you wanted to go watch TV and drink beer, there's places for that. Um, if you wanted to go to dinner, well, there's places for that. Um, I don't want to compete with those. I want to sell my beer. At the end of the day, I'm still a production facility. Right. But I needed an environment that kind of fostered a place where I would want to go and drink, where I could meet you and have a beer and talk about what's going on in your world and, right. you know, not necessarily have us stare at the TV and watching women's lacrosse that we really don't care about. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's so cool. And I think that sometimes people get can get caught up in the idea that like they're so unique that no one else is like them yeah. and like certainly there are qualities that make people unique on their own but it's like you're not the only one that likes that kind of music sure. you're not the only one who actually wants to go somewhere and connect with people yeah. so even though like all the things that you're doing are centered around your interests like clearly there's other people that like doing that yeah. and you you because you're the one setting the tone you're drawing those people in yeah. which are not just one kind of person, as you as you mentioned. So, uh, to kind of backtrack what you were first saying, I thought it was really interesting. Um, well, two points. For one, your, your your whole comment about changing with the times makes so much sense because even the other day I was reading about just like in the wine market how rosé used to be something that no one would ever talk about, yeah. certainly not proudly, and now it's like a huge sector of the wine market, and so it's like totally changed. And like now you can go to uh, a grocery store or wherever else and you get roses out the freaking wazoo yeah. and which is fine and but that's how the market changed sure. and you can either accept it or not and yeah. you've done the same thing we've kind of like seen the market and instead of like being stubborn yeah. you've decided hey I'm a businessman yeah. and I love beer but I also like making beer that people are actually going to buy yeah. <laughs> which is always nice so how did you walk me through a little bit how you like did you know, we call it market research, I guess, but yeah. like, how did you find out what people really wanted to drink here? Well, you kind of start basic, you know, just because, you know, there's kind of three types of beer drinkers, really four now at the sours, but you know, 
You have your hop heads. We talked about that earlier. You, yeah. you just can't make a hoppier beer for us hop heads. We love hops. Uh, usually I have four or five different hops on, or uh, IPAs on. We have a black IPA, hazy. We have a north, uh, we call it kind of a, a north uh, west style, you know? So it's still a little hazy, but it's not totally the west coast. Right. Then we have our west coast. And a lot of times I'll do a single hop session IPA. So I'm, I'm always about the hops. But then you got people like yourself, you don't like hops, you know, which is okay because bitter is actually a uh, safety mechanisms with our palate because everything that's poisonous to us is bitter. Mm. So we're not really trained to like bitter. So when people like, you know, they don't like their coffee black and they put cream and sugar on it, I tell them it's like, stick, don't stick with an IPA. You're not going to enjoy it. Move on to the malty, the sweeter ones. Right. So that's where you have to have a Scotch ale. You have to have your milk stouts, you know, nice. um, that's what we do. And then you have your people that are, let's say, they're not really much into craft. They just want to, you know, they're Bud Light drinkers or Coors Lights or Hefe drinkers, you know, wheat beers. So you kind of have to have something for those people as well. So we have a Pilsner. Right. Now the new, you know, sours are so popular. Well, you have to have a sour. So if you have, you know, two or three different, you know, beers in those categories, at least one of the beers that you have on tap, when people come in, they're going to find one they like. I don't brew my beer thinking everyone's gonna like any one of my beers. That's egotistical. They just need to like one of them. <laughs> They'll have to say, you know what? All right, here, I like fruity beers. I'm gonna drink this boysenberry sour, you know? Or let's say, you know, your grandpa's in town and he's like used to drinking Budweiser. All right, he can have the Pilsner. You know, if you're a hophead, we got you covered. Right. So if you do that, you're able to kind of see what sells. Um, along with that, we're always doing 13 to 15 different seasonal beers throughout the year. So just by doing the seasonal beers, you get a really good indication of what people are wanting. You know, uh, great story with that. I was brewing in downtown Cincinnati and Cincinnati besides the original Oktoberfest in Munich is the second largest Oktoberfest in the nation. So I was brand new at brewing and I remember the German club came into me and they're like, hey, I know you're gonna do an Oktoberfest. Well, cause you're a stupid American. That's what you think we drink. <laughs> but in all reality, all that's out. not what we like. Yeah. And they're like, we want a dark Munich lager. Well, I haven't been over to, you know, Oktoberfest or Munich at this point yet. So I'm oblivious, you know, and I'm like, I kind of know what these are, but I really right. don't. I go, bring me one. I'll do my best to, you know, match it, you know? So they bring me one and, you know, I pop it and, you know, it, it's basically, you know, your Munich malt and crystallized Munich malt and it's a lager. And, you know, it's just, it goes great with food and especially pig knuckles. So if you're ever over in Munich, you have to do those two. They're amazing. Haven't had that privilege. <laughs> So now I know why they enjoy, you know, they drink Hellas during the day, dark Munich at night because it goes great with foods, you know? Okay. So of course I brewed it. I brewed 24 barrels, which is 48 kegs, right? It was gone in four and a half days. Wow. Not necessarily because of the public, but I think all the Germans in that area, they just hit it hard. Yeah. So then I knew every year, all right, brew a dark Munich lager. That's what they enjoy. So talking to people at the bar, looking at the numbers, being creative on what you're brewing, um, and brewing different styles to see what, uh, it's like fishing. You gotta, you know, put a different lure on to see what catches, you know? I mean, there's still creative things that we do constantly, new techniques, new hops coming out, new malt. That us as brewers, we're like, oh, I'm dying to do this. Or you drink a beer um, and let's say I'm over a wandering tortoise and Justin say, hey, have you tried this? You drink it like, oh, wow, what is that? Yeah. You get inspired, yeah. you know? So between all those put together, uh, you kind of have an indication of what people are enjoying and what they want from you. No, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, that's, it's just trial and error, just like yeah. so many other things in business where it's like, you really don't know, like everyone seems, when, you, when you're first starting and you're researching, you, you quickly become to realize that like, 
everyone somehow has had one thing hit pay dirt and there's really no explanation as to why. And then the next person will have something completely different who tried that first thing. Sure. It didn't work. And then something else worked for them. Yeah. And then so it's like, okay, well, so there is no formula, yeah. like other than trying. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Makes sense. you're throwing darts at the wall. You just never know. Right. Have you guys done a pumpkin porter? Um, you haven't seen my video this year. I haven't, I guess. Oh, dang. You need to watch this video. Uh, I'm kind of against pumpkin beers. Um, oh, yeah, and pumpkin porter is really phenomenal. It has a place in my market. Uh, doesn't have a place in my palate. I don't enjoy it. Um, Four Peaks is a high success rate with that beer. Uh, I'm not trying to compete with someone like Four Peaks by no means. I can't. You know, they're giants and I'm a, a small little fish. Um, but no, it's my, my take on certain aspects of having a beer with certain foods. I want to have the pumpkin pie. Right. I don't want to drink it. You know, I mean, I could put a great beer with a pumpkin pie and enjoy it like you have no idea, you know, but to try to consume a beer that tastes like pumpkin to me is, is kind of asinine. Um, two, I, I'm a drinker. Right. So in other words, I, I want something sessionable and I'm going to drink three, four, five, boobering home. Who knows how many I'm going to drink. But what I'm getting at, <laughs> those beers to me are not sessionable. If I get uh, through right. one of them, I don't want to have another one. Well, we just talked about being sales and business, okay? Right. So sales and business is aspect of why would you put a beer in a packaged product out on the shelves where a lot of other big boys are doing it, but they can do it, where now it's not gonna sell because people can only drink one or two of them. And they're like, I'm not gonna drink this, I'm gonna move on to something else. Typically the people who are buying those beers are some more sweeter type of you know drinkers. Guilty. So yeah, <laughs> so it, they get palate fatigue, we call it. Okay. Now here's something I, you know, we can discuss and is something because of my industry, but it's called seasonal creep. And pumpkin beer is responsible for seasonal creep that, you know, without getting too political, kind of pisses me off. Because when we develop a beer, let's say late spring or late summer, okay, and there's my seasonal, I have it on the store shelves, a total wine, and I'm getting bumped down the line because let's say one of the big boys is putting out their pumpkin beer in July that screws up the quality my shelf stability all the time now people are starting to buy this stupid stuff yeah. where you know let's say whatever i had that's supposed to be on the shelves now it's just getting kind of pushed away so we see seasonal creep happen a lot and pumpkin beer was kind of the, the first one to really push a lot of the small guys out of the equation mm. because of that so now the first time you might have one of my beers during that time of the year Maybe it's a little bit, uh, you know, older than I wanted to be because we got moved down the line because here comes our seasonal creep beers. Right. Um, it's the same thing. Watch Starbucks. They do it. You know, pumpkin spice lattes come out way before the season even changes. Right. You know, what else? I get it. You yeah. know. So, yeah, I got a couple of different uh, feelings about that. Uh, we do do a lot. I got a beer that I made with carrots. So okay. it's not like I'm anti playing with food and beer. I'm doing a beer with mushrooms in it soon. Okay. Uh, I'm doing a beer with bread, Jason Noble, or Jason with Noble bread. Um, so okay. I love playing around with different ingredients. Uh, it's just the pumpkin one. It's just, that's the one I just don't get. So I did a video, you gotta check it out. I will. You know, it's on our webpage. You guys' videos are so fun. <laughs> yeah, Clydesdale, Manhattan, Ryan, he's the guy that does them for me. He is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, we have so much fun. We did that beer, or that movie. Uh, we had a beer over it. We didn't script it. He came out one night, filmed everything. Um, yeah, it's just, that's how good he is and how much fun we have doing them. 
Yeah. You know? But yeah, you got to watch it. It's all about pumpkin beers and me smashing a pumpkin and killing it. And, you know. <laughs> Expressing all your feelings about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I took a sledgehammer to it. You know? Of course. You know? so. Oh, man. Um, that reminds me. Have you ever seen Office Space? Yeah. When they take that printer copier out and they like yeah. beat the tar out of it and yeah. that rap music. That's absolutely. That's kind of how that feels right there. <laughs> um, so, and maybe, maybe, maybe you've already said it. Maybe there's just kind of a different way to say it. Like, what would you say has been like the lifeblood of your success here? Is it your ability to judge the market? Is it just uh, the community that you create, like, how, how do you feel about that? Hands down, um, people. Okay. Uh, the, the culture of the company has been developed because of the people that work here. Um, the people that believe in what I'm doing. Um, whether it's the people that have backed me since day one, um, that have been drinking my beer, or people in the neighborhood that want to support local. Um, friends, family, it, it's an amazing community. Uh, the actual craft industry by itself. Um, the brewers that support us and we support them. But, you know, the, the success that I'm seeing is strictly based upon people. Right. Yeah. Okay, so walk me through a little bit about community because uh, you're certainly not the first business owner that talked about the community and, and yeah. the support that you offer them, they offer you. Um, what gave you the idea to have these, would you call it, you call them barn? Um, barn bashes. Barn bashes, because it's a super cool idea and certainly like, it's a mystery to me while more people, like you have overhead having a build, like a building, yeah. like you pay for this ground. So you might as well do something with it, right? right? And so it's, it's a mystery to me why most more brick and mortars don't do these community events. But what kind of like triggered you to do this? Was this something you'd always done? Something you saw somewhere? Like what got you started building um, this community with these different people? It's kind of like that hands down approach. You know, um, I was, there's no way I could have done this without help from so many different people. Uh, even during the install, you know, we'd work till 10, 11 o'clock at night and people would work their day jobs and show up and whether them helping me build the cabinet guide, help me design the bar and build the bar top to, um, you know, this one guy walked in one day and said, hey, if you ever get a canning line, I want to help work on it, you know, and that guy turned out to be a super good friend. He's always in here working and fabricating things, you know, for me. So. When other people are always helping you, you help them. You yeah. know, I come from a family that's, that was always all our mentality as well. So if I have the space, and like I said, a brewery to me is a place where the community comes together and just drinks beer no matter what. That's how we have our health and adventure tribe runs. And you know, we're, we got this health club, uh, we all get together and do mountain bike, you name it. But if I have the space, why not? Yeah. Um, they're coming together over beer. I don't lease the space out i don't charge anyone we've had so many art shows here and i didn't realize because you know i'm a brewer you know that someone sold a piece so at the end of the night he came up and tried to give me money i was like what's mm -hmm. this for you know he's like well that's kind of you know you get 25 30 percent of the cut when you let us do these art shows i'm like i don't want your money you know you're the starving artist you know i had a, i made money people came and drank beer tonight people that follow you showed up at Helton for the first time and had beer. So they walked, I win. I don't need money. That's right. not what I'm looking for. Um, we've had events here and we've had weddings here for people and they're, they're just blown away that we're not charging them for space rental. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what we're here. We're still a brewery, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, people can use this space, come together, 
We've had uh, motorcycle clubs, um, bikes, you know, we've had bike classes, we've had uh, car shows, uh, you name it. I mean, jewelry making, just whatever we need to do to let someone that maybe hasn't been as fortunate as I to get to brick and mortar yeah. to say, hey, you know, we'd love to do uh, something here. Uh, dog meetups, uh, gosh, I mean, I can go on and on in some of the, uh, the events. And the other cool aspect is the aspect of, you know, the charitable aspect, yeah. you know, we'll sell X amount of beer on a given day, but yet X amount is going to go back to that charity. So the win for me is, like I said, I'm getting introduced to the public, to a sector that I possibly doesn't know me, right. you know? So, and everyone loves beer. Everyone can sit around, have a couple beers and talk and enjoy their Saturday or Sunday or the event. Um, just, it works nicely, right. you know? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that in general, that is part of the joy of, of hitting some level of success is that like you get to like, it's a little bit of a feedback loop. You can like actually do more of like the like philanthropy type work yeah. that you want to do the whole time because you can actually like fund and do those things. Like you, you took the huge risk of having a space so that you can actually do those things. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to get back in that way, yeah. which is just, it's really cool. Not only that you're doing it, but it's also cool that you've been able to like build that momentum yeah. to be able to do that comfortably and like not be hurt, <laughs> you know, because of that. Yeah. And um, when it comes to the art and like that, it, that's something that I just love and enjoy. Yeah. You know, I'm a big music person. Um, my background is, like I said, engineering. I'm very analytical, yeah. you know, I do all my equations by hand, like 16 pages, you know, just on a recipe. I don't have it what these guys have. I right. love to watch these guys do graffiti. You know, they'll walk up and they'll have to talk about what they're going to do. They'll just walk up and start, boom, start a line. Yeah. I would have to measure that, find out center. <laughs> right. You know, I would have, I would just overthink it. And that's yeah. how my mind works. So I love to see other people's ability to, you know, express themselves like that. And it's just really cool, you know. So that's another aspect that it, it's great to let people, you know, show off what they're able to do. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I consider myself a creative person but my creativity ends when it comes to me holding anything and doing it. Like yeah. pencils, paintbrushes, it's just like yeah. an instant, like there's a brick wall in my brain that says like, no, not yeah. good at that. I agree with and that. Uh, so when I see someone paint and start and like draw some random line and connect something else and all of a sudden you see an eyeball and it's like, how did you even get there? <laughs> like it just blows my mind. Yeah. So, I mean, you do obviously super artistic stuff with your brewing. I mean, like there's a balance and an art and a science to that. Um, pages of equations <laughs> I can't imagine um, but you know so that that's his own art form but that, that's just so different yeah. you know what I mean and and Edwin's contributing artistically but in just so different ways um, I think that's really cool so I, I feel like people don't give business the artistic credit it deserves sometimes because it is really an art yeah. like all the balancing and doing you know uh, one thing I, I definitely wanted to cover just because you, you talk so much about culture with like your employees, like walk us through like the very first person you hired, like how did you start instilling the culture right away and how has that kind of evolved as over time? Sure. Uh, that's kind of easy. Uh, first person I hired was Rob Coat, which is my brewer. Okay. Um, he's from Indiana. I'm from Indiana. So there is a work ethic that we are both used to. Um, he was coming from the culinary side. He's a chef and he did some brewing in Indianapolis. 
Um, very, very humble and honest guy. I had to call a friend of mine, uh, Clay, that owns Sun King Brewing, his name dropped him. And he's like, oh yeah, this kid's a badass, you know, yeah. not a kid, he's a guy. Um, so we started off on the same page with A, the common work ethic, B, coming from Indiana and knowing the beer scene and having some common friends like Clay, Sun King, and what they've done and how they've accomplished. So we spent many nights just envisioning how we wanted this to end up, you know, seeing what the Phoenix market is and not trying to jump in and just be in a stream of other breweries and opening. Just right. like, all right, but here is the areas of opportunity. Here are the areas of strengths. Here's areas that we think that we could possibly um, go into. And what dictated that was, well, location. You know, so once that location hit, everything started to fall in. You know, it never started with a mission statement or an executive summary of stating this is what we are. Right. You know, because I was smart enough to know that doesn't exist. Um, it has to be evolved, it has to develop, you have to nurture it. Um, and then you start hiring staff and let them be a part of the equation, let them be a part of decision making. Um, hiring is probably the best bet to success I think that people can make or fail on. Yeah. Um, so by hiring, well, if, if you have a, a company culture and mission statement and they come in and they have a 12 point system of sales and they have to do this and they have a uniform and it, it gets to a certain point where they feel they're a robot mm. or you know they're just following where if they get to have their input and they feel their voices are heard and of course they are heard you know I, I, you include them right. then they have more of a buy-in you know if the staff is bought into what you're trying to do um, then the success is just going to fall well, follow you right you know it's just going to fall in line um, my staff is amazing you know uh, like Christmas Christmas Eve and that Monday is I don't have you know I'm not married I have no kids my family's back in Indiana mm. so I'm like you guys all have family and you know friends kids I'm gonna work the bar everyone go home they all try to talk me out of it which they should have because I got my butt kicked you know it's been, <laughs> I was busy um, but it was neat that here I am trying to do something nice for them yeah. and they're trying to do something nice for me. Yeah. You know, that is something you can't instill in people. Yeah. You know, a, a company cannot put that on paper and script that out for people to buy in. Um, I had one of my staff members buy me a bottle of bourbon on their birthday. <laughs> like, wait a minute. That's a little backwards. <laughs> hey, I, I did forget it was your birthday. I feel really bad right now, but you know, but no, they were just saying thank you for giving me the opportunity to be part of this. Um, I think it's also because we're a new company. You know, even at three and a half years, we're in our infant stages. Every company, you know, you're you're still an infant, just barely walking at this point in the game. Yeah. Um, so it, I think everyone likes to be a part of something. They like to see something grow and say, you know what, I was a part of that. Right. So if you're being honest, so, since you're so analytical, has being really relational with your staff been something that's come natural or is that something you really had to work on? No, it came natural. I mean, when you think about it, no matter what business or not, you know, but any business, your number one asset is your people. Right. You know, um, and if you don't realize that, then you're pretty much going to be working for people your whole life. Right. If you're able to understand just the human nature of what people want and how they want to be treated, you know, 
It's kind of basic. Like I said, it's that hands down approach. When someone is down, you help them up because they've helped me up. When I am down or I need help, people keep helping. So it's this kind of a, a cyclical thing that is, if you can instill that in your staff, you know, like I said, I'm trying to give them the night off for Christmas Eve and they're all trying to give me the night off. Right. It's a beautiful thing, okay. you know? So no, it, it comes easy, you know, and I guess that's my upbringing, you know, right. I can give that to my parents for kind of teaching me, you know, just how to be a decent, person isn't that sad though really just being a normal nice person or decent to people is odd in today's society because everyone's yeah. all about take 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 me 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 or you know here's your schedule and this is your you know it's it, it is kind of sad these days i guess if that's you know part of the equation well I, I think there's definitely those people and i also think there's people who are just less relationally aware sure you know, and, and I think that, I mean, that's even why I even thought to ask a question is because so many people who are analytical, they are, it's not that they don't like people, it's that they, they view people as a function, yeah. right? Whereas you view people as like a huge asset, which obviously they are, but some people can't make that connection or, or don't treat people like that's the truth, even if they do sure. know that yeah. about people. Yeah. And um, people come and go. I mean, this industry, we're lucky to get someone to stay for a year or two. You know, even chefs, you know, any restaurant, the average, you know, lifespan of a chef is two years, they move yeah. on. Um, and that's just the industry, we get that. Um, but the, the beauty of it is the people that have left and moved on to other places, we're still amazing friends, they're still buying my beer. Yeah. So it's like, they'll go and move to a different spot, uh, cotton and copper. I mean, yeah, Tamara is a great friend of mine, the chef and owner, but you know, it, at T-Fowl, Tiffany, she's the bar manager, of course, First day she was hired, she's ordering my beer. Right. You know, um, I can go on. Be Megan, Bonnie, I got so many of these bartenders and people that helped me open that have moved on to open up their own locations, their own places, and you know, and that that's a testament to me that you know, apparently Helton wasn't that bad of a place to work, or I wasn't such a prick that they're like, I'm so glad I'm out and I'm never buying his beer or anything like that. Right. No, they're out there still preaching the gospel and buying my beer and spreading the the knowledge, which is amazing. You know, so even then, that that's a good enough reason to treat your employees right. They're gonna walk away and talk to people. You know, 100%. so it's like we're we're in the industry of making people happy. I mean, for crying out loud, it, it's not brain surgery. It's you know, it's beer and food that makes people happy. <laughs> you know. Well, I think I think a lot of companies they spend all this money on uh, like advertising and marketing and they don't realize that like what people say about, like the people who work for you yeah. have the most influence because of the fact that like they know better. Like yeah. they know that if their friend asks them, they'll get the real story about what it's like yeah. to be with you. You know what I mean? It's not like you can't, you can't put a shiny advertisement on that. No, you can't. And, and I don't really want to go into this too deep, but you know, a lot of people do know my background and the company I worked for, which is an amazing company. Um, they helped me purchase some of this equipment uh, when I left them, gave me a great package. Um, but I guess what I'm saying at, at a corporate level, at the end, I was also a student of what not to do. Because mm. I seen a very successful company in the early uh, 90s and how different CEOs or business philosophies could come in um, outside of my market and try their philosophies and watch it fail dramatically. Yeah. Um, watch the bottom line being the most important aspect of, you know, running a company, right. you know, now don't get me wrong with the P and L and you know, that's huge. We're running the company. We're running a business, gotta pay rent. but you cannot run it 
strictly on those the bottom line. Right. You know, EBITDA is not the 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 end all result of success. Yes. Um, so having that information and watching that gave me the uh, the knowledge of how I really wanted to structure this company right. and how people need to be first. And if they are first, uh, which I seen it in the beginning culture of the company, and then how it can easily be lost. Um, I don't ever want to lose it. You know, I don't want the, the dollar to be the almighty determination of my success. Right. You know, people first. Yeah. The money will fall. Product is good. That, that's my philosophy. If the product is good and consistent, yeah. it's going to sell. If the people are happy, I will be successful. You know, if I'm just strictly worried about money, well, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. Probably be a financial analyst instead or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, to kind of transition into marketing a little bit, obviously you guys, like you said, you got you guys have like a video guy that's been helping you out. Like, what ended up, what kind of steps led up to that? Did you just like always know that you needed to like pursue that, or was there something that kind of was the catalyst to start doing like your videos and 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 do your marketing? Um, let's see. When I first started, of course, I was, I literally have an apartment here, you know, because I always spend twenty hours a week and get or a night get two or three hours of sleep, get up and brew, shut down the bar, do it again. That happened for about 14 months. Um, I would let other people do some social media for me, mm -hmm. okay? But what was missing was the actual vibe of us, of mm -hmm. me. If I would do a post, I'd get more likes than somebody else. So what I realized, I, I talked to someone that was doing you know, social media, and they're like, Brian, you get three times more hits when it's from you because people relate and they know you and they're trying to support you. Right. You know, which we're only talking a couple hundred because I was very small starting off. Sure. And they're like, don't let anyone do it because they're not speaking, you know, your your tone. Are you talking about like the, 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 the Any social media, writings? marketing, right. um, just anything. Even the pictures, it's like, you know, the, people could tell, you know, and it's like, you can see, it's like, we know that didn't come from you. That came right. from probably somebody else. Right. That's not how you speak, you know? It's like, that's written like, you know, People know it's not you. Right. So I was forced, I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't have time to do all this social media as well. So I dragged my feet, definitely, kicked and screamed. So then Rob brought out a good point. Why don't we just start like following people that we dig, that yeah. we like, and notice what's making us, you know, like their, you know, pictures on right. Instagram, let's say. You know, so we started doing that. And then uh, it was actually Dylan at Goldwater, uh, Goldwater Brewing Company, which if you guys haven't been to Goldwater, you need to. They're phenomenal. They just opened up their second location. So proud of those guys. But I noticed I was following them. And then one day their likes almost doubled. And I asked Dylan, he was like, dude, what did you do? And he's like, I bought a better camera and, I'll, and I'm getting really good at using it. Nice. You know, and he's always been a huge uh, component of helping me develop, you know, where I needed to go with some of my marketing, right. you know? So, and then once you get into, which apparently you are as well, a camera geek, uh, it, yes. it gets addicting, you know? Uh, another it's a black hole, man, oh, yeah. <laughs> with your money and your attention. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, a couple guys started helping me and giving me advice, like, all right, buy this camera and you know, buy these two lenses and just take your own pictures, you know? Right. So I started doing that um and uh learn how to use lightroom after hours upon hours of hours of youtube videos because you, you have know? nothing else to do well, exactly right <laughs> let's just do that well i'd go home you yeah. know that would be the beauty of it he's like instead of being here drinking all night i'd go home and start developing pictures right um video is all new to me so i'm just now learning you know final cut pro and all that fun stuff um 
so I'm really bad at it, but it's neat for me to go back through my Instagram and see the beginning of yeah. what I used to do yeah. to what I'm doing now, you know? So that's been a progression. Uh, and I always tell people, you know, I do some consulting and openings to breweries with other, it's like, do this in the beginning. I know you don't think it's important. Um, I have a friend that's about ready to open up a brewery and he was like, I don't think I'm gonna worry about my webpage. I'm like, let me show you my Google Analytics. Just yeah. Google, not Firefox, not Safari. Right. I was like, just guess how many people hit Helton last month, you know? And he'll say a really low number and I show him. Yeah. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, so this is what's important. You know, your demographics are set where people from the ages of let's say 35 to 55 are all email based as well, yeah. you know? But if you want the 21s, you know, it's like, you don't have to do TikTok, but definitely Instagram is huge. Yeah. You gotta learn to use a camera. You can't afford it. We can't afford, we're too small to afford someone to come and take pictures of us or do videos for us. You have to do it yourself. And no one's gonna actually, no one has the eye besides you of how you want to represent your company, True. you know? So just don't, you just do it from the beginning. And um, so, yeah, we've been getting better at it. And then people like Clyde Stell is absolutely amazing. Anytime I can work with him, Ryan is just so talented and you know what he does. And he's more uh, comic, you know, and more relaxed. And I've been told I'm very kind of, you know, up, not uptight, but kind of, Oh, guys, how should we say this? Um, serious about my industry, which I am. Sure. I'm really serious about the quality assurance of my beer, my product, and what yeah. have you. So he kind of brought to my attention some things. So, well, we can have fun at this. And yeah. we can be, you know, we can make fun. I can make fun of myself and be goofy at it and, you know, make comments like the, the, the pumpkin beer. <laughs> you know, yeah. there was one hit that they're like, I can't believe that you didn't get any negative aspects because I made a comment about my distaste for this and I had lost like, 50 followers the next day. Oh, wow. I didn't lose any. Yeah. Maybe it's because how I did it. You know, I'm kind of making fun of myself about it. How right. my, you know, so it, it, it's how, how you present yourself. And he does a really good job at uh, doing what he does. Totally. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have fun at it. You got to have fun at it. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, so I, I do a lot of weddings and stuff like that. And so there's always that fine balance between like having fun and also taking what you're doing seriously. And that doesn't mean you have to wear a serious face. Sure. It really doesn't. Yeah. Like you can have a great time, but also be like having a very careful eye or careful ear or, you know, tasting carefully and making sure like, okay, like this doesn't match standards. We got to try again. And that doesn't mean that it's the end of the, you know, a terrible day. It doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. Like, I mean, certainly bad things happen, but um, you can be serious about your craft and also have a great time. And certainly having that guy that you hire out helps out too, because yeah. then you can be relaxed because you're not the one holding the camera because there's yeah. definitely a different expectation there. Yeah. Um, well, cool. So, um, so what do you guys see like in your, your new future, in your near future? What are you guys kind of like looking forward to the next season, right? So we're coming into spring, summer, like what's kind of next for you guys? Um, beer wise, uh, it's Saison time for me. Um, I want to do a black Saison. Last year we did a plum Saison as well. Uh, so springtime is all about that. Uh, we'll move into our uh, pink guava goza or something like uh, strawberry rhubarb sour. So we're kind of moving into that season. Okay. Um, we have a Imperial Stout for uh, Arizona Strong Beer Week or Arizona Beer Week, which is the Strong Beer Festival Indian School, I think on February the 8th, Saturday. Uh, so we had a collab with a new brewery, Rage Fury. He's opening up, we did an Imperial Stout with him. 
Uh, we'll probably do a collaboration with uh, Justin at uh, Pig or uh, Wandering Tortoise. Uh, so we're doing a bunch of collabs. It's our 20th anniversary, so that's what's going on with that. That's around the corner. So mostly bigger beers for that. But once uh, February is over, we're kind of moving into the spring training, and you know we'll get our Mexican cerveza back out again, the Outlaw cerveza. Uh, just kind of get ready for the summertime. It's around the corner. You know that sneaks really up on us. It really does. Yeah, it's it's so hard. Uh, you got to think like two seasons ahead you when really you're do. making stuff. Yeah. Because you, you got to take all the production and all the testing and all that other stuff into into play, and it's like, as a videographer, I'm like, you know, when you know, uh, senior picture season comes around, I'm like, oh shoot, it's like, it, it's already started, and it's like, oh no, I should have been advertising two months ago, five months ago. So uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge to stay on top of things when you're trying to like make now happen and future stuff happen. Um, well, cool. So uh, if people want to find out more about what you do, watch your freaking hilarious videos, all that, where can they find you? Definitely uh, HeltonBrewing.com. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is Helton Brewing uh, Company. It's pretty easy. Um, you can hashtag Helton Brewing, you're going to find us. Uh, Facebook as well. Um, yeah, I do all my own social media, um, answer phones, make sandwiches, clean the bathrooms. I'm always here. So, you know, <laughs> always come in, be more than happy to show people around and talk to them about their beer, our beers and, right. you know. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a very cool place. So oh, you, you should you. be very proud. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely got its own vibe and it's uh, very welcoming. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not too, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretentious. Uh, yeah, Scrastilish. pretentious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not pretentious, it's very welcoming. Yeah. So even though it's a it's high-end product, high-end, thing it's not uh not unapproachable by any means so yeah. that's really cool so well thank you so much for your time yeah. thank you for sharing your different advice for hiring with marketing all that other stuff that's super helpful and uh i certainly learned a lot and so uh, thank you for sharing no oh, thank you appreciate it